do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 22. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. This week's episode is part of the series that we've been doing about design knowledge and design epistemology. It's another one from Eddie Norman, where he reflects on his time at Loughborough University and explores what we mean by knowledge in the subject of design and technology. Allowing students in schools and colleges to identify design opportunities in different design contexts gives a seemingly immediate boost to design and technology's relevance. But there are major curriculum management challenges associated with such strategies. It's important that a design project that is to be part of a student's assessments provides the opportunities for them to demonstrate what they are able to do and not simply expose what they cannot. I led the final year design projects at Loughborough University for five years and this was always the essential concern. Students were encouraged to seek advice from several design tutors, including professional designers as well as their peers. Advising students on their project areas was not so much about restricting their choices as helping them to identify opportunities to show their talents and with manageable risks, perhaps considering different endpoints to manage the risk of running out of time, or different prototyping strategies to avoid excessive costs if sponsorship could not be found, or different modelling techniques that could bypass difficult or inaccessible technologies. It seems highly likely that these are the same kind of conversations that teachers will be holding with their students as they tackle the, the new GCSE context. Underpinning all of these conversations is design epistemology. What is it that designers need to know and how do they know it? As designers take on a new design area, there can be a rapid learning curve to be surmounted within the project timeframe. And it's no different for students. Teachers will be making judgments about their students' starting points and their likelihood of getting to where they need to be as they offer any advice they're allowed to give to their students on their projects. I've seen advertising materials from the Design and Technology Association for CPD programmes that have been designed to tackle these issues. So hopefully this initiative will have more longevity than its predecessor in 1990, when the then new national curriculum was introduced. This required children to design in five different contexts, providing many challenges to design and technology teachers. Design educators should by now have reached a consensus and be able to audit design thinking across the curriculum and articulate design epistemology for particular design areas, and more generally but I don't think that is the position we're in. 
Consequently, in 2017, Loughborough Design Press published some initial explorations of design epistemology and curriculum planning. The book was centred on an editorial written for Design and Technology, an international journal, in 2013, which was called Design Epistemology and Curriculum Planning. Colleagues were asked to consider what their response might have been to the expert panel's conclusions and the circumstances that could have led to them. These were published alongside the original editorial in an effort to set out the issues. This book was not about trying to provide answers or even to consolidate different perspectives, but to open the potential for debate and for further contributions to be made. However, it was decided that one further matter deserved to be included, epistemology and visual thinking. Discussions of epistemology are usually restricted to those matters that can be expressed in the conventional symbol systems associated with written languages and mathematics. It seems apparent that this can never be sufficient for design epistemology, where some matters can only be articulated through visual images, making meaning without words. It's also well known that much design modelling takes place through visual methods in both two and three dimensions, and that some aspects of design languages can only be expressed visually. And so Ken Baines published his cartoon-style drawings, revealing aspects of making meaning without words. It seemed the most appropriate way to make the point. It also seemed appropriate to emphasise the cross-curricular nature of modelling through images by including a section on Xenia Danos' work on graphicacy. Numeracy, literacy and articulacy have been much discussed and analysed, but comparatively little effort has been made to structure the teaching and learning of graphicacy across the curriculum. Xenia's work shows one way in which this could be pursued, and if the full nature of design thinking across the curriculum is going to be articulated and audited, then its relationship to a taxonomy of graphicacy across the curriculum is going to play some part. Danos's taxonomy is an update of much earlier work by Fry in 1981. The update was necessary because as times have moved on, the internet has emerged, computer drawing tools have become more common in schools, and the nature of drawing within the school curriculum provision has changed, with the additional use of colour, photographic and 3D images, to name a few. This illustrates the additional complication that design epistemology is a moving target, and that both what designers need to know and how they know it will change. Designers work within and are products of their culture. They acquire knowledge from that culture and work with technologies which embody the accumulated knowledge of their society. So the challenge is to identify common elements from different times and cultures, as well as those that depend on particular circumstances. This does appear to be problematic, but it's this kind of research that will shed light on the human capability to design the part it has played in human evolution and the ways in which the changes in human culture have influenced this capability. Graphicacy only reflects one aspect of the human capability to design, but analysing the differences between Fry's and Danos's taxonomies will bring out some of the ways that graphicacy has developed in the last 30 years or so. Of course this would only be a small step, and exploring the relationship between graphicacy and designing is not a straightforward matter either. But all journeys begin with small steps. The important matter is to take a step in the right direction. You've been listening to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening.